Thanks, John. Well, good morning again. Um, thanks again for last week. I mean, those of you who were here last week, we had this wonderful bouncy house and all this kind of stuff going on here. I'm sorry to say there's no bouncy house this morning. You can bounce yourself around here you want, and you may find some of those ice cream sandwiches still lying around a few of the the kitchens around the church, but thank you very much to everyone who helped out last week. That was a wonderful experience. I think just to say that many of us as staff this week were reminded just in conversations with all of you how important it was for us to be out in the plaza together as a church and to see one another and to be outside. It was just such a wonderful moment, so you don't need to clap for that. So here's the scripture reading. The scripture reading for this morning is Exodus 3, uh, 14 and 15. It is a passage that is not unknown to us. Uh, we referenced this last, last fall when we were in our sermon series on dialogues with the divine. This is God's response to Moses' request for the name that he is to say when he goes to those who are suffering in Egypt. This is the voice from the burning bush. Listen to the word of God. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord the God of your ancestors, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Key phrase, this is my name forever. And this is my title for all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Oh God, when we think of what has happened over the last weeks and days, as has also been referenced, and I'm sure is close to our minds and hearts, people that we don't know, people that we have heard, Lord Jesus, we ask that in this moment you would give us your word, that as we have experienced the living truth of the resurrection and its good news, and as we look to the coming of Pentecost, open our hearts and minds to this very word dwelling within us. Call it forth from us and through us. Call us to faithfulness to your holy name through all generations. Amen. So we've spent the last few weeks focusing on the generations and faith and handing down faith through the generations. Given the events of the last weeks, and given our theme and what we have been looking at in the different passages that we have addressed, it has made me ask some questions that I think are searching and probing. The first, what can we hold on to that is ageless and timeless? Or turn the question around. Who or what is holding on to us that does not change with the times? Who or what holds meaning for us 
when life and the very civilization we are living in make no sense? Do we know this agelessness and timelessness? Do we sense in our bones something of eternity or have we lost contact with that? Do we live by this? I'm not saying that these answers to these questions would solve these social problems and upheavals that we have. That would be kind of a careless way of looking at the situation. But still the question remains for us, and this text deals with it. It may not explain everything, but it is the place to start. Today's text does not explain it all, as I said, but here the living truth at the core of this message that anything that I'm going to say of what I heard from the word of, in the scriptures and the spirit was that from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord is God. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord is God. And that this is a profound revelation of the name of God, as we often say, Yahweh, the merciful one whose mercy endures forever, who is tender and just, who is majestic and infinite, and intimate, higher than the heavens and closer to us than our own breath. This is the name of God. But here's what is so important to hold on to or to see is what is, is this, is to recognize that this is a revelation. This is a revelation of the divine to human beings. This is not something that human beings conjured up. This is not something that human beings constructed out of a religious experience. What Moses receives is a revelation. And while that may be difficult for us to grasp, and it is because it needs to be revealed, the recognition of the difference between a revelation and a human idea is immense. And hold, just hold on to that with today as you listen to the rest of what the scriptures say to us. I am that I am in Hebrew. Eye esher eye. Who? Who are you? I am that I am. What does that mean? You would kind of wonder, Moses might ask, what, who's, who's, what name? That's really not a name. That's the point. What's that point about? That's the eternal. This name of God, the Hebrew name of the one often referred to as El, or let me just say, step back and say this. When you see the name of God or God printed in your Bible, that usually is the word El or Elohim. When you see Lord, L-O-R-D in capitals, it refers to Yahweh, the one who is, the I am that I am or the I will be what I will be. So what we find here is a revelation of the general concept or the general idea of God, which is embodied in all cultures and many traditions. You have this general idea of God, but what is on the inside? I am that I am. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. Well, maybe that's the point, is that you aren't simply supposed to simply understand it or explain it, but you are to live to it and listen to it. Many times in the Bible, the attributes of God are given, things like mercy and justice and righteousness. Why is it important that we understand the I am that I am before we even understand what mercy, justice, forgiveness, faithfulness, all of these good things that we talk about that are God's character. 
Because without that, mercy, justice, and faithfulness, and forgiveness, and all of these things are not necessarily eternal. They may be capricious. They may come and they may go. But when it's grounded in the one who is I am, what is this name? I am that I am. There is evidence that this name was not Israelite in origin. In Genesis 4, verse 26, it says that when Seth, the son of Eve and Adam, had a son, Enosh, at this time, it says, people began to invoke this name. Eyeh, Esher, Eyeh. I am that I am. So in biblical terms, the name was known, was prayed to, and worshipped even before Moses. One commentator calls this name, in a sense, anonymous, right? That it truly, as I said, is the inner meaning of the name of God, of the general understanding of God. But notice what it is. It's a verb. It's not a noun. I am that I am. Where do you put that in? in can you make that into a noun? You can't. It's a verb. It's a movement. It's active. But it's so unchanging in its activity and its ability to respond to human beings. Another commentator said this, that such a name for God creates a radical crisis for all religious or all religion and all religious statements, and I would say all God language. And that this doesn't simply imply atheism or agnosticism, but I would say what God is desiring or what Yahweh desires from the people is that we, they, in a sense, are purified of our understanding of who God is. We need our minds and our hearts purified because oftentimes our ideas of God become ill-conceived, held in improper ways, and that calls for a purification. Like our bodies oftentimes, they get sick, right? They get sick, but we're not aware of it until a certain time where there's a crisis involved. Oftentimes, our language for God gets lazy and careless. Our ideas about God are not purified, are not truly attentive, mindful, and aware of that which is eternal. The I am that God is, I am. What we've found, I think, in these, pass- in this, in these weeks is that this is something that is a challenge to pass on to the generations. One way in which we could look at Exodus 3 is to combine it with Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7 is another revelation of God to Moses. It's kind of like the bookends. You have a bookend, you have the beginning in Exodus 3 and then a bookend in Exodus 34. And many of you will find this passage familiar as well. It says that the Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents, upon the parents, upon the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This text is, and I don't think that I'm overstepping the bounds of biblical scholarship 
really is the heart of the Old Testament. If you look in your concordance, or let's better say the concordance, that's kind of a dated statement, right? If you do a Bible search on your computer for these verses, <laughs> right? But, or if you've got an old study Bible at home and look at these verses and you've got the center column where you have the references or at the bottom, if you look, you will find that this, this verse shows up in many, many places throughout the Psalms and the prophets. It's, it, it, it holds together the people of God by presenting the people of God with a coherent understanding of the name of God that is hard to grasp at its core because of the nature of the mystery that God is. If you put these two passages together in Exodus 3, you see the being side of God. If you look at Exodus 34, you see the doing side, which are one, they're never separate. God's being is in God's acting. God's acting expresses God's being. God's doing throughout the ages are clearly defined in four verbs that are given here. Abounding is steadfast love. Keeping or holding it throughout the ages. Forgiving sin. And then this weird kind of statement, visiting the iniquity of the generations. I actually want to dwell there because I think the other ones we kind of get fairly easily, but this last one has become a problem for us. Because I know what you're thinking when you read this verse. What you're thinking is this refers to the fact that God is going to show up and punish people. The problem is, is the word visiting does not mean that at all. And never has. Very little in the Hebrew Bible is this verb used for punishment. What it means is to gather the forces, to gather the powers. Not, it can be mean as an army, but it's more like marshalling together the forces to do something. So here's how I see it. By visit, the verb does not mean to punish, for it's rarely used for punishment, but it means to marshal together, to gather together in order to bring order, to set things right the picture one should hold in mind is not that of a parent visiting the kids who've just wrecked the car and torn the house apart and now are sitting in a state of great fear. That's not the picture. Rather, it is more of a doctor visiting a generation of kids who are sick from their parents' false behavior and beliefs. Visiting to heal the brokenness with an abundance of steadfast love, forgiveness, and heartfelt truth-telling that bears forth the repentance that brings healing. Do you see the difference? I can cower in worry that I'm going to be punished or a generation is under punishment. Or I can pray and hope that the great physician would come. And with that at times, there may be some difficulties and some hard truth-telling. But let us look at our, I'll just go off script right now. Let us just look at our society, folks. Our children, our children are suffering. Our children are suffering. And the parents' generation will need a visitation. Maybe this is the invitation that God is visiting us. It's hard not to think about that after this past week. That God visits the parents in order to stop handing down what is producing illness among the children and the grandchildren. And the name of God, purified, is also the heart of the human being, purified. Each generation 
takes up adulthood in the covenant community of the church at some time or another. And each generation is responsible to pass this name of God on to the next and to do it with as much wisdom and compassion as possible. When you think about the task that is in front of us, it can seem overwhelming, much of which lies beyond our power. For in reality, to pass on the name of God to the next generation requires calling upon the name of God in order to do so. And so, however challenging and however much the social commentary, the criticalness nature of our times, and our awareness of social trends, I don't want to say it's simple, but passing on the faith still will take telling stories and building relationships across the generations in the name of the Lord. Stories told and relationships cultivated in the presence of the Lord, where we invoke the blessing of the I am in the space between us. Let me speak of two examples of how challenging this work is and what it involves. The first spotlights the caution that is needed not to associate and attach concepts of God to the divine name, concepts that make it, fo make it hard for folks to call upon the name of the Lord confidently and without fear. The second example is a personal story of mine that highlights the way the unchanging nature of the divine name is a blessing, a literal living blessing of words that when shared in confidence and handed down through all the ages continues to speak well of God. The first is Howard Thurman. Some of you have know, know that I've quoted him several times in my sermons. Howard Thurman, who has passed away for years now, wrote many books, um, was the late co-pastor of the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples in San Francisco. In his book on the Negro spirituals, a wonderful little book called Deep River, if you can find it, he reflects on his grandmother, and he talks about how his grandmother gave him recommendations for Bible reading. His grandmother was a slave. She told him she did not revere the sacred canon her masters used to command the acceptance of her enslavement. Rather, she decided, I'm going to create a canon within the biblical canon. Thurman shares that his grandmother would not let him read Paul's letters. But only the Gospels, the Psalms, and the book of Isaiah but never Paul's letters. The reason why is Paul's letters were used by slaveholders, masters, to keep their slaves in place and to actually, in Frederick Douglass's words, obliterate the generational structure of a people. To me, it sounds, it, this sounds completely acceptable and full of much wisdom she wanted her grandson to know the name of God, not as an oppressor or a collaborator or an underwriter of such, but as a God above that judges that and saves through that a God whose name 
is I am that I am. And so we must ask ourselves, what have we associated and attached to the name of the Lord that should not be handed on to the next generation? It's an interesting question when you think about it. We tend to say, oh, we need to this is what we need to pass on. And then we think of the commands and we think of the, all these things. We never think, what should we not be handing on to the next generation? Sorry, I'm a little emotional about this. <laughs> the second story is this, my grandfather. I was going to do it today. I was going to bring his chair, but I didn't. I decided not to. I wasn't going to make it in my truck. But my grandfather passed on to me a chair that I have in my home. It was his chair of many years. I keep it in my office. This chair, and, and it's usually empty, this chair evokes for me a sense of God's presence where God's name was passed on to me. It evokes from me oftentimes a sense of prayer for the name of God to be known in my life. Because from this chair, he told me about the God that he worshiped. A God that he told me was beyond the boundaries of human thought. A God that was also full of mercy. A mercy that endures forever. And also a God who visits and demands attention and mindfulness. I remember days near to his death where he sat in this chair speaking to me, encouraging me to promise to hold fast to the God that held us fast in life and in death. This chair tells me that the name given to me is not mine to own, but mine to pass on, reminding me of the need for stories that are shared among generations, generations that are interwoven by faith. This was a blessing. This was a blessing. Howard Thurman received a blessing from his grandmother. I received a blessing from my grandfather. To bless in the name of the Lord is to invoke the great I am that I am over a person, a situation, a loss, a grief, a suffering, a wonderment, a life born, a new marriage. It might be that to bless people in the name of the one who is I am is the one daily ritual that we can do that continue to pass on the name of God to each generation if done consciously and with intention. John O'Donohue, who wrote this little book, To Bless the Space Between Us, which we gave as a gift to our deacons who are, who are, who are leaving us this year, says this in that book, our longing for the eternal kindles our imagination to bless others. Stop there for a second. Our longing for the eternal kindles our imagination to bless others in time. Right? He goes on to say this. A blessing is a circle of light that is drawn around a person to protect, to heal, and strengthen. Life, he says, is a constant flow of emergence. The beauty of blessing in the Lord's name is the belief that, can, that it can affect what unfolds, the future. And so we cannot change the events of the past week and the weeks and months before them. 
We cannot take the hurt and the pain and the suffering away from the lives that have been lost and marred from the earth and its upheavals with creation, with, with climate change and, and the, the suffering of creation. But, but we can bless and we can invoke the name that is above all names and in the name of Jesus Christ, ask for protection and healing and strengthening in the name of the very source of life and life's redemption. I remind you of this little verse in Genesis 4. At that time, it was written, people began to invoke the name of Aye, Asher, Aye, Yahweh. I am that I am. It is time. It is time to invoke the name of the Lord. May it be so. And in this name, may we bless all things and bless each other and bless all generations. Amen? Amen. Amen. May it so be.